0: This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation.
1: You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I am so excited to welcome Kate Mangino to the show. Kate is a gender expert who works to change harmful social norms through writing, training, and facilitating. She just released her new book, Equal Partners, Improving Gender Equality at Home, And I got an advanced reader copy for this interview. Let me tell you, there are a handful of books in life that have just totally changed my thinking and perspective and way of viewing things, and this is one of them. As I got reading and highlighting and flagging books, I knew without a doubt this had to be a two-part series because I had so many questions for Kate. So get ready for this series. It is going to totally rock your world. In part one today, we discuss how gender norms contribute to the invisible load that moms carry, what gender norms even are, and how we fall into them and how they form, why it is so important for us to understand gender norms, and how they play out day to day in our lives. Throughout this episode, we share and discuss statistics around housework and childcare and how that falls along gendered lines. And we also discuss the lasting impacts that these gender norms and norms we fall into in parenthood have on women's careers and earning potential. Gender is the greatest predictor of household labor splits, so it is essential for us as mothers to understand gender norms and the role they play in the invisible load. Let's hear my amazing conversation with Kate Mangino. Do you find yourself getting frustrated with your partner because you carry the majority of the invisible load? Do you feel like much of the care work you do goes unnoticed? Psyched Mummy, Dr. Ashirina Reem and I have the workshop for you. Unpacking Resentment is a workshop that dials into the reasons why parenting feels unfair. We cover what resentment really is and how to communicate your way through it. We also discuss how to identify when we're ready to have these challenging conversations in a productive way. We get into the nitty gritty with some really practical tools on how to divvy up the load in a way that is not necessarily focused on being equal, but is focused on feeling fair to both partners. When we let resentment build, we find ourselves becoming more and more irritable and angry. That anger and resentment can feel and become intoxicating. We may feel justified in our position. We feel right. We've been wronged. We've been hurt. But holding on to these negative feelings in our partnerships keeps us stuck. If you feel like resentment, frustration, anger has been brewing under the surface in your relationship, I encourage you to check out this workshop. To learn more, head to happyasamother.co slash resentment. That's happyasamother.co slash resentment. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Kate, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. I was joking with you off air about how how we cross paths and I got an email from your publisher and I saw the work that you have put out in the world and I knew immediately that we would click on so many levels. So thank you
0: for taking the time to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm a fan of your podcast and what you do and I am just very flattered to be part of it. You have
1: released a book called Equal Partners, Improving Gender Equality at Home. And this is a major topic on the platform and you know my Instagram and, and podcast as we have the Invisible Load series and are constantly talking about the invisible tasks that come with motherhood. I'm so curious the path that took you down the road into gender norms and gender
0: studies. So my background, I come at it from a bit of a different perspective. My background is in international development and I have worked my whole career. I was a Peace Corps volunteer back in the day for those other Americans out there who might be returned Peace Corps volunteers. And since then I have worked with nonprofit organizations and the bulk of my work is overseas doing social development around gender. My niche is as a facilitator around gender issues and so i am hired to do a range of projects i do a lot of work in hiv prevention i do work in curbing early childhood marriage i have a project right now around women in agriculture i do a lot of women's empowerment work but the underlying theme of all of these projects always boils down to gender norms and bringing groups of people together to talk through assumptions that we have about gender? Do we want to continue these assumptions? Do we want to change? How can we challenge ourselves? So I've been doing this work professionally for a long time. And the book came about, my oldest child just turned 11. So it's been 11 years now that I've had this on my mind. Mm. She was six when I started this book project and it gets published when she's 11. So if that tells people how long these processes take. I was having very sophisticated conversations about gender in Zambia, in Indonesia, in Nigeria. And I was having very antiquated conversations about gender at the playground down the street from my house and Mm. at family gatherings. And there was this disconnect between my personal life and my work. So I came up with this project, which is applying the same methodology that I do in my overseas work, but looking at an American issue and trying to dig into it and talk about the gender norms that are at the root, I think, of a lot of the household imbalance that we're seeing today.
1: hmm I had read books like Fair Play. We talk about our Invisible Load series here, and I'm working on my own book about the invisible load. And when I picked up your work and saw it through a gender lens, I had so many light bulb moments that were just like, oh, it just resonated so deeply with me. So for those who might not be immersed in this language, what are we talking about when we're describing gender norms? I
0: describe gender norms as the opposite of laws and policy. So we have written rules and regulations and spoken rules and regulations that govern how we behave. There's a law about what side of the street we drive on, for example, and that governs our behavior. Norms are the unwritten, unspoken expectations that come with being a boy or a girl or a man or a woman or someone who doesn't identify with either of those genders. And those are so strong and so real and so deeply embedded into each culture that they feel like fact, they feel like truth. Mm. And I think that gender norms are often confused with biological truths, right? And people start, it gets mixed up in our head as to are women really more emotional or are, mm. are we biologically more emotional? Is it true? Is it a myth? Are we raised to be more emotional? It creates this big gray space where it's hard sometimes to differentiate what is biology and what is socialization,
1: Mm hmm. And one of the things that you had discussed initially in the book, and maybe we'll put it out here as well, is that these norms often fall into sort of female led and male led. And it doesn't always relate to sex and gender. And these things are fluid, but these are the two primary norms that we usually associate with. You might be better to give this spiel that I. No, you're doing <laughs> but, a perfect job. And and so like people fall outside of these norms, and these norms might not be entirely inclusive, but they are sort of prevailing. And especially in parenthood, when we're talking about mothers and fathers mm-hmm. and things, mm-hmm. we're going to use this language. But understanding that people fall outside of these sort of stereotypical norms
0: as well. Absolutely. The norms I think are predominantly, we have norms that are coded for girls and women and boys and men. Mm. So I think one major issue with gender norms is that they're restrictive and they don't allow people to be authentic. They put us in a box. And I think they're restrictive for people who were assigned incorrect pronouns when they were born or do not identify as male or female. So it's restrictive in many ways.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I love that male-coded and female-coded. We'll probably reference that quite a bit. So like we know what these norms are. They're the unspoken expectations of me as a woman, me as a mother. And who teaches us what it means to be a good woman, be a lady, be a good mom? Where, Where do these messages come from?
0: They come from everywhere. I mean, that's the honest truth. I can't remember being sat down and having anyone tell me how to be a good girl or how to be a good mom. We hear them throughout our life. We get them through our nuclear families, through our extended families. We get them through faith communities, neighborhoods, school, daycare, friends. Now our kids are getting them on YouTube and TikTok.
1: Mm. We
0: hear thousands of messages a day from the time that we're tiny. And so they're just sort of around us all the time. And, and norms are not just about gender. Norms, are, of course, are around race and beauty and anything that's not written, anything that's one of these unspoken, assumed beliefs about how you're supposed to be or not supposed to be could be considered a norm.
1: Mm-hmm. When I think back on my own experiences, on like first what it meant to be, be a lady or be ladylike <laughs> or be, um, you know, whatever. Right. I remember I grew up in a very Pentecostal, evangelical Christian home,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which I'm still unpacking half of the trauma of, not going to lie. That's an episode for another day. But a lot of what came with that is, you know, a woman is a helpmate to their partner, a woman is sort of like, you know, the maker of the home, the carer, so that the man can be the head of the household and the sort of like subservient, quiet role. And this was a lot of like unlearning for me as I got into a space of especially even running a company and being out in the world the way I am now having this sort of big, bold presence, if you will, Mm -hmm. having to like unlearn the norms of playing small. So like, This came from personally for me, like faith communities, sort of also policed by like family living in like the faith, like in this arena. And then I'm sure peers and schoolmates and things as well, but I can distinctly remember pivotal moments that really influence that for me.
0: A hundred percent. First of all, people role model behavior to us. They might not say it out loud, but we watch Mm. our parents. We watch teachers. We watch neighbors. We can tell in the community who is revered, who is respected. So we can see what other community members value more than others. And then our gender norms are very much reinforced too. I remember very clearly Sitting when I was a kid on the couch with my legs splayed across, and my, my mom, who I hate to throw under the bus because she's one of my best friends, mm. she'll probably laugh when she listens to this, saying, You know, could you please sit like a lady? Meaning, could you put mm-hmm. your legs together? So that reinforced behavior. You only have to tell a kid to do that a few times, and they start to do it on, automatically. The reinforcement can be positive. And sometimes we watch the way our older siblings are being raised or older cousins. If your older brother is receiving accolades for being a great high school athlete, you start to think, oh, wait a minute, I need to perform. You know, I need to be an athlete and then I will also earn that attention. So we learn it through watching how other people receive feedback as well.
1: Mm hmm. The praise that they get, or the, yeah, how they're spoken about or revered in different circumstances. I had a very similar experience, my dad being like, "Um, please sit up. Like, that's not ladylike. And I'm like six years old, sprawled out, reading a book somewhere. (laughs) Like, do you know know what I mean? And it's like, um, I'm a child. Like, so I think that as people are listening, you're probably reeling through these own experiences that you've had, like little corrections here and there that we've internalized along the way about what it means to like, quote unquote, be a lady or be a good woman, and then to be a good mom, which we're going to get into. Before transitioning into the motherhood piece, there was an interesting part of your book where you talked about how gender and race intersect. Can we just unpack that quickly?
0: Absolutely. I think that humans like to compartmentalize things because it's easier to wrap our heads around it if you do. But I think that gender and race very much overlap and intersect. And I think that gender norms are applied perhaps in a stronger way. I'm trying to find the right words to people of color. Mm. I think that it can often be a privilege to push back on gender norms. And I think that socially people of color are judged more harshly for stepping outside of gender norms. So we can talk about this throughout today's episode. As I was interviewing the men for my book, race came up repeatedly. It was something that they couldn't separate they couldn't separate their identity as being a dad of color and a dad, right? It was, they were fathers of color. And that formed a new identity that came with its own issues and conversations and challenges.
1: Yeah. We recently just did an episode on the invisible load of black mothering and like black pregnancy and birthing. And my husband is a father of color. He's from Benin, West Africa. And so we often have conversations about what being a good father means to him in raising black boys and how black boys need to behave in our society. So I can see how race as a major core of our identity overlaps with this gender part of our identity as well. There is extra like considerations, I feel like, and an extra invisible load when those two come together that my husband considers and maybe I hadn't even until we had those conversations. So important to note just for those who are listening. Okay, so I was blown away with some of the statistics around care work, specifically. This is sort of my big focus right now is how we find ourselves in the default parent role, the preferred parent role, you know, and we want fathers to be equal partners, as your book says, or like take on more of the load in the home. So, Can we have a couple of those statistics around who's doing some of
0: this work in the
1: home and and all of that?
0: I think one of the most widely accepted statistics is that in the United States, women do twice the household work than men. And this data comes only from different sex couples. So take that. Mm. Make sure you understand that when you listen, when you hear this statistic, because I have read that there is greater equality in same-sex couples, not equal, but greater equality than different sex couples. In Canada, it's a little bit better. In the UK, it's a little bit lower. So it depends by country by country. And OECD has great statistics if you're interested in looking into that more closely. But if you break that down to really think about what it means. So if a woman does twice as much labor in the home as her male partner, that means let's say he does 10 hours of work, which is a lot over the course of a week she's doing 20. Mm. And what does he do with those extra 10 hours when she's still laboring in the home? He could be sleeping. He could be hanging out with friends. He could be investing time in hobbies or work. He could be going back to school. He could be working overtime shifts to make more money. He has so many options and she doesn't because she's still Mm. doing household work. And if you add those up over the courses of months or years, it's considerable. And another statistic that's really important is that at age 25, this is in college graduate different sex couples. At age 25, women make 90% of what men make. So the pay gap is only 10%. I shouldn't say that Hmm. because 0.1% is too much. There should not be a pay gap. But the pay gap is much narrower. It's only about a 10% difference at the age of 25. At the age of 45, women are making 55% of what a man's salary is. So the pay gap widens to 45%. It doesn't take much thinking to figure out what happens between the ages of 25 and 45 of why a woman has stepped away from work so much. Mm. It's because she's doing twice as much work in the home, because she is responsible for the cognitive labor, because she's responsible for the household management, And she's tired. She is tired. She's exhausted. She's spent. She's overwhelmed. So of course, she's less likely to put her hat in the ring for a promotion. She's less likely Mm. to open her own business. She is less likely to sign up for a work trip that might get noticed by leadership. She's unlikely to take on a supervisory role that requires her to stay at work a few hours later. And so you see huge impacts in salary down the road.
1: Yeah. And I think it was in your book. It's a combination of your book in a conversation I was having with a scholar in the motherhood studies space that when we become mothers, we go on this sort of like mommy track where Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we often take the hit to our career. And so not only are we leaving income on the table right now, but over the years, the combination of all the dollars that are left on the table for us because we prioritize things like flexibility or, you know, we're so tired that we just are beyond our load that we can't have the freedom to focus on our role in the same way. And so there's actually like very concrete financial
0: implications of that. Yes. Huge. I mean, we sacrifice earning potential. It's not just about what I'm earning this week or this year. But it's about cumulative earnings over the course of a lifetime. And it's about getting my salary higher so that I can earn more and more as I go along.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about this a lot recently as we go through a very big pivot in our house in terms of undoing these gendered norms. (laughs) I had not done any of this work before becoming a mother. I was a therapist for about 10 years in a family practice and a perfectionist who thought that I was going to embody this motherhood role just perfectly. And I ended up having three children back to back in the span of about four years and found myself crumbling under the pressure of anxiety and depression and being the mom to three kids that I had envisioned I wanted to be.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Taking three consecutive, which is a privilege, I will acknowledge, in Canada to have a maternity leave. Mm -hmm. So I do know that that is a privilege. But to take three years from my career that that was all I knew before children and had strived so hard to get through all of my education and see my my husband's life as it appeared to me to go unchanged still completing his licensing exams to still work through promotions to still maintain his identity in that form and just thinking like life feels like it's just over in that
0: regard right absolutely and i think it's kind of you to point out that it was a privilege to be able to take time because of policies that support parents in canada but i would argue that's what we need everywhere i mean that's what the united states is in desperate need of so i would right. i that's that should be the norm for everyone you should be able to have a family when you're ready to have a family right yeah you should be able to take the time away from work
1: And you spoke about ways to like share that leave if you have it. So like maybe you're off together and you condense it and you're off for six months together or maybe you alternate or maybe your partner takes the entire leave. And I was not in a place. I was like, I'm going to take this head on and I'm going to like live up to all these norms that I have internalized. And I slowly built my own cage. I slowly like trapped myself in motherhood and... I don't know, left parts of my identity on the table. But this is a really common thing when I speak to motherhood scholars is like as women, we think, you know, we're freed and we can, you know, climb the ladder and we can do the things like all the things, even in our partnership. Maybe we're under like more of an equal distribution within our home before children But something happens. Something happens when we bring children into the home, hey?
0: Absolutely. I think that those norms that we talked about earlier that are so ingrained in who we are because it's the way we've been raised, the way we've been socialized, they get so much stronger when there's a little person in the household. And I think that women who do have the privilege of some kind of maternity leave oftentimes start off that baby's life by doing all of the things in the home to care for that baby And then she goes back to work and it's just as opposed to reshifting and saying to her partner or having that conversation in the home, I don't want to put the burden on mom at all. It should be both people Mm. to say, okay, that was a magic moment of six weeks or three months or one year, whatever it was. That was lovely. Let's change all the rules now because you're going back Mm. to work and it is physically and emotionally impossible To do everything for your baby and work 40 hours a week. That is Mm -hmm. a losing battle, right? So, and I think that a lot of people don't have that conversation at that time. You just sort of transition back into work. And, you know, there's been so many good conversations around the formula shortage right now. But, you know, when you're pumping in bathrooms and you're pumping in hallways and you're desperately trying to like be in meetings and produce enough. Breast milk, or get home, you know, at a certain time to put kids to bed. It's just immense pressure for new moms.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And the unspoken expectation is that you just do it. Yeah. Everybody's doing it. Like this is what motherhood is. And I talked about we're in this time of like pivot and transition because as I started to do this work and as I've grown this platform and gotten to speak to people like you and really expanded my mind around what motherhood can look like, Mm -hmm. our structure in our home has drastically changed. So I was, um, my husband was downtown, 12 hour days in Toronto commuting to his corporate job. And I was the supportive partner sort of protecting his time. And there's a comedian, Ali Wong, talks about like how she, you know, as a career woman, what she really should have gotten was a wife (laughs) and not a husband. And I think that that just really shows the roles we expect, you know, wives to play to their partners. And I sort of laughed because I found myself in this helping role. And now fast forward with time and intentional energy of undoing the learning and some of these norms, my husband does every pickup and every drop off and does dinners. And I'm in like sort of militant scheduled meetings all day long to the point that the pediatrician called and the, the assistant at the pediatrician's office, like bless her for putting up with me, couldn't get a hold of me. And so I finally called her back and was like, take me off the file, like put me as the emergency contact Dad is the primary contact here. Like, you won't get a hold of me. I will not return your call. And it's so counter their experience. And we've had to reinforce it a couple times with like daycares and schools. Like, please don't call mom's number unless it's an emergency. But for me to let go in that way and not feel like it reflects on how good of a mother I am took intentional time and learning to be able to let go of things that I didn't have to carry.
0: And is it still hard for you? I mean, do you still have those moments where you feel a little guilt or are you in a place where you feel really confident?
1: I most often feel confident. However, there has been a handful of situations where one time the school had called and they thought my son had broken his arm and I was set to speak at a live event that had 1,500 people there. (sighs) And could not like I was in the green room like virtually and ready to speak, and so I spoke to him. I heard his voice. He was calm. There was another very nurturing, capable parent that could go and take him for his X-ray. But in that moment, I'm like, it should be mom going, right? So it definitely creeps up in certain situations. But I think that. I can talk myself through it now and I can see when it's creeping up. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you've not done this work, or if this is your first time hearing some of this, the awareness may not even be there of these pressures and expectations that
0: bubble to the surface. I agree. I think you have to practice it. And for people who are new and interested in trying this for the first time, I just suggest just flip it. Take a situation any given day and just flip it and say, would this person say these words to my male partner? Would this person or someone who said something, would this person say something to me? And oftentimes when you flip it, you see how ridiculous it is. If you can't flip Mm. it and it still makes sense, it's probably gendered. You know, I'll receive an email from someone and I'll show it to my husband and I'll say, would anyone ever talk this way to you? And he'll be like, nope, no one would ever say that to me. You know, they were approaching you because you are female. Mm. And I think that that's a good way to start to see gender.
1: Go to ZocDoc.com slash momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like calorie smart, keto, protein plus, or vegan and veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on the go lunch, snacks and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com/momwell50 And use code MOMWELL50 to get 50% off your first box. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science & Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science & Nutrition podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. One of the places I'd love to go now is the ways that we might behave in this role. So it's later on in the book, you talk about sort of where we're at with this load we've been handed, right? And you would describe them as, and hopefully we can, we can touch on them as like being in this role and loving it and embracing it, being in this female role or motherly role, being in this role and not like loving it, but just accepting that it is what it is, you know, coping with the female role where we're feeling frazzled and kind of like, I always picture it as we're like a duck on the water, but underneath we're like just frantically trying to stay afloat resentful of the female role, or leaning down, which we'll get into. So can we briefly touch on those? And I'd love to just, yeah, have a discussion about them.
0: When I did this research and wrote this book, I didn't want to assume that all women were unhappy. I think there are a lot of women who are fine, even if they have a gendered household, they're happy with it. For many different reasons, that could work for each individual family. So I always tell people, I am not advocating for one set of behaviors over another. I think Having a family is hard work and life is hard work, and whatever is working for you and your partner, that's fantastic. I would never tell anyone that their behavior is wrong or should change unless you want it to be changed. I suppose what I'm doing is I'm talking to the masses because the most common construction, family construction in North America right now, is two parents who are both working. And mm-hmm. they participating in the economy we can't say working out of the home anymore because so many of us work in the home but participating mm-hmm. in the economy mm-hmm. and so I started to think about how you know if you have a male partner who's not an equal partner, where does that leave his spouse? where does that leave her and how does she feel so I kind of thought through these stages of you could embrace it and the people who I usually hear who embrace it, don't have little kids in the house. There pe- mm. may be an older generation where their kids are grown up and on their own and they can still do the majority of household work and they've been doing it for so long it's second nature and they can handle their work and they actually embrace it and it doesn't bother them. Mm. And they might be very open to helping newer, younger families find equality. They're not saying everyone should behave the way I do but they're just personally okay with their situation. Mm
1: -hmm. This actually reminds me of my maid of honor at my wedding, a good friend of mine. She makes the bread from scratch. She (sighs) loves to like, I just picture her as like the most wholesome, homemaking person you could ever, you know, put in your mind. And she's got three girls and she's home with them, and she just does all the things. but like that is like been in her bones like that is everything she's ever wanted where if I was put in that role, not speaking down on her in any way or like not to know like we have our own values that dictate what is yeah. important to us. yeah. and so to me being in that role, I would feel trapped, I would feel smothered mm-hmm. I would feel you know, stifled in a lot of ways where she's creative and free and living her life. Yeah. So when I think of embracing that role, I think of her who's
0: really just embodying it in sort of the most wholesome way you could imagine. And seems ingenuine. I hear from you that she's genuinely happy. And yeah, I know people like that too. And and there's no judgment. It's just everyone living their best life.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And being in this role and being on maternity leave and just having three kids, understanding that care work is the hardest Hardest. and most important work that there is, frankly, right? Like, Amen. And so when I see and I have friends who are stay-at-home moms and who, whether they make that choice or it's sort of chosen for them and there's lots that goes into that, I know, but just- such important and hard work that goes, I think, minimized at times. I work with a lot of clients who are stay-at-home moms. They've got education. They have mm-hmm. titles. Mm-hmm. They have various backgrounds and feel that when they say, oh, I stay at home with my kids, that people don't respect that, that people don't hold that in much esteem compared to if I had given my title instead of the fact that I'm a mom, I may have been received right. differently. So- right. So much respect for those who are home and doing care work because it is important
0: and difficult. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess getting back to your original question is some women take that on and and embrace it and some women don't. So the next category would I have accepting and coping. I'll talk about them together because they're similar. Mm -hmm. Accepting is sort of like if I could snap my fingers and my husband did more that I would do it in a heartbeat. But it's okay. I've got things under control. And then coping would be the next step down where you're like, I'm holding it together, but barely. Mm. And I think the difference between accepting and coping is your network. It could be about income level and how much you can afford to outsource. Can you afford a nanny? Can you afford camps? Can you afford after-school care? Can you afford meal kits? Can you afford dry cleaning? Sometimes it's about accepting People might say, yeah, my parents live a few miles away and they can come over and babysit anytime I need them to. So I don't feel the load as much because I can share it with them or people who are in really great neighborhood networks. So when there's a day off school, they sort of rotate the kids to take the burden off any one family. Whereas a coping person might be more independent, might not have the resources for all of those extras, might not have family around might not know the neighborhood as well or not have those options Um, and just is feeling a little bit more lonely.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And then the last one is resentful. And that's sort of when I'm starting to think about if it would be easier for me to not be married, if it would be easier for me to be alone. I'm resenting him. Our relationship is not in a good place. I am angry a lot. I am resentful. I feel dismissed and unheard. And that's A horrible place for anyone to be.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think that when I end up speaking with moms, it's in the we're trying to cope or we're in the resentful stage. And like, albeit I have a biased perspective because those who are embracing the role are not going to end up in my therapy office, most likely. They're probably off doing their thing. Yeah. So a lot of the experience that I do have is with moms who are in this, like, I'm barely keeping my head above water. Yeah. And You know, I'm tired of having to like delegate and hold all these things and be in control and carrying the majority of this load. And then the the last one you had mentioned, which I
0: thought was interesting, was this concept of leaning down. I borrowed that from Kate Mann. She wrote about that in her book, Entitlement, I think is the name of it. Mm -hmm. And it is something that's very real and something that we, we need to be aware of. And here's another intersection of gender and race because we often lean down on people who make lower wages who are often women who are women of color. We pay nannies, we pay cleaners, we pay people to do the dirty work that we don't want to do. And it becomes invisible labor and it becomes very easy to cover that up. And so when women talk to other moms, it's easier to appear like you're the super mom who's doing it all.
1: Mm. But
0: it's a little bit unfair if you also have you know, someone who's coming in several times a week to clean the house, watch the kids do your laundry, whatever it may be. And I don't think that is fair to our conversation around gender. And it's for sure not fair to those women who are making an hourly rage. And they're probably moms too. And they have a family to take care of and they have parents to take care of. And they probably need paid sick leave and they probably need great health care, and they might not have it.
1: Mm. So I think that we
0: need to be very aware of it's not just our own nuclear family and brushing our work under a rug to appear like we have it together. Let's be really honest about our networks. Mm. And it's not a bad thing to have someone clean your house or someone watch <laughs> your kids. That is a a helpful transaction for two people. I just think that's another form of invisible labor that we need to bring into the conversation. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it stood out to me as I'm in this place where my husband and I are are, you know, up to our eyeballs in this company and the platform. And the tasks of the home are ticking up. And I'm like, you know what? I like I need like a mother's helper. (laughs) Even the name makes me cringe. Or like (laughs) housekeeper or, you know, somebody to help with these tasks. And in looking, they're all women. And I'm like, it's just so not funny. I don't even know what it is. Enraging half the time. Enraging <laughs> like, <laughs> because
0: it, we're just outsourcing our care work on other women. I mean, that's what's happening.
1: Right. I'm like, whether it's a childcare setting or a, like care, household, task, cleaning setting, anything, like, it's just women everywhere. And yeah, it's just such a big conversation. In I was speaking with a motherhood studies scholar last week, and she was saying that men often don't want to get involved in the care work until... They're going through divorce she works in like mediation and and Interesting. Uh, and custody and access assessments it's like now we want 50 50 because there's monetary value attached to this care work when we're talking divorce settlements mm. and to have 50 50 and to not have to pay any spousal support for all the things that mom has left on the table as we talked about the potential earnings advancements in her career and if we're going through a separation and mom has to re-enter the workforce five, 10, 12 years behind where she would have been and leave with nothing. Like it just plays into so many facets, right? Absolutely. And so I saw her equate like, yeah, well, the, the men I work with want to get involved when there's divorce and, and settlements on the line. I was just like, oh, that feels painful. That feels, that feels really
0: painful. Yeah. And I wish we could back up that that timeline a little bit to before the divorce. We often talk about the statistics and the economic loss of the invisible load and the negative effects it has on a woman, but there are also significant negative effects on men for Mm. not participating in an equal partnership. I think we need to reframe the conversation that we're not necessarily asking men to do more just for us. We're asking them to do more for themselves. We've seen very real data about the negative health effects that can come from men who feel disconnected and not having emotional ties and feeling distant from his family. And that all comes from the fact that he's been socialized and forced into this role of breadwinner. Mm -hmm. And he's been raised to prioritize work and earning as opposed to building relationships with family.
1: Mm -hmm. I see that. And at the loss of some of the really, I don't know, maybe nurturing sides of care work. Like I see my son- My like youngest son interact with his dad and I'm just like, oh my gosh, you know, it's just so sweet that they have this bond and this playful, nurturing, you know, interaction that is like gentle and sensitive and kind and all of these things we would attribute to women and and men having to prioritize and work like my husband when he was downtown 12, 14 hour days frankly, just didn't have the
0: opportunity to do that before. Precisely. And he was missing out. I'm imagining that he's happy being present with his kids and being a great dad and just spending that time. And think about how many dads miss out on that space, that Mm -hmm. opportunity, because we push them into the workspace. You had someone recently who was a fantastic guest. He was a breastfeeding specialist. Yes. And he shared a statistic that I didn't know that men's testosterone levels are lowered when they co-sleep. I had never known that before I listened to him and I thought, "Oh my gosh, there's like a biological thing happening too mm-hmm. that benefits men for having those relationships with kids and and spouses."
1: Yeah, their hormones certainly do adjust as they enter into parenthood to be able to nurture and caregive and parent in a way that you know, we're all meant to do and to share in. Yeah, and we're gonna wrap up this portion. This is a two-part series. I'm so excited. But you had mentioned, you know, I would imagine he's happier being home. And and the sort of just the just like really sarcastic side of me things. you know, we look at each other now that we're both in the thick of it, and we're like, whose freaking decisions led us to this point in life with three? Children that are like ninja training camp, you know, taking over. So (laughs) at least we're in the trenches together, and it's not one person sort of resenting the other. But we do have moments where we're like, "Whose life choices brought us here?" And who's the adult in the room? Because (laughs) I I want to speak to them,
0: you know. I uh, yeah, I can one hundred percent as a person who sold her book proposal in June twenty twenty, and then had to write a book. During the pandemic, when her kids were in virtual school, there were many days when my husband and I were like, what are we doing? Yeah. Who signed us up for this? Who signed us up for this? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much. Our next portion is we're going to get into the how do we unlearn these norms and some of the more practical pieces. But where can people find you? Where can they buy your book if they're eager to learn
0: more from you after this interview? Thank you so much. The book goes on sale June 28th. We can provide the link on the website. My personal website is just my name, katemangino.com, and my Twitter handle is Mangino Kate. So I'm I'm active on Twitter and always responding to people who reach out through my website.
1: Yes, and we'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes so you can easily click through and get it and make sure to come back for part two
0: with Kate. Thank you so much, Erica.
1: Oh my goodness. Wasn't that conversation something? Kate's work really causes me to take a deep, introspective look into where so many of these ideals and beliefs that I have for motherhood have come from. And I'm so curious as you've been listening and reflecting whether you fall into the embracing, accepting, coping, or resentful role. Coming up next week, Kate and I are going to dive into how we begin to unlearn these gender norms that we've been exposed to and internalized for most of our lives, We discuss some of the reframing tactics or thought traps or traps we fall into when trying to unlearn these. We discuss where to start when doing this work and also how we can begin to model this work for our kids. If you're listening to this and you've become very acutely aware of beliefs that you've held onto or that have been ingrained from your upbringing that you really want to learn to let go of... I encourage you to book in with a therapist from our wellness center. Uncovering core beliefs and helping to reshape and reframe them is such a major part of therapy in the work that we do. To learn more and book a free 15-minute consult, head to happyasamother.co slash wellness. That's happyasamother.co slash wellness. I'll see you right back here next week, same time, same place, where Kate is going to help us know where to start in unpacking and unlearning these gendered norms. Have a great week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with
0: me each week.
1: If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is